0: Hi there, I'm Jonathan Healy. Thanks again for joining us. On this week's podcast, we find the Indian food company that's thriving in East Cork and the brewers who have decided to make kombucha tea. I've no idea what that is either, but we'll find out a little bit later. But first, the man back in Cork City FC and his business journey.
1: A Red Business Podcast with CompuBee. Building your business with premium Apple Solutions. CompuB.com.
0: And now we are joined on Red Business by Pat Lucy, who is the CEO and co-founder of Aspira. Is that right?
2: That's right. Aspira right. I was going
0: to say Aspira, but that would have been <laughs> wrong. I'm glad I got it right first time. I want to talk about the company in a little bit, but tell us about your own personal journey, because you worked
2: with a company that is no longer in Cork. That's right. I came to Cork to work as a software engineer with Motorola back in 1990 and uh, worked with them for 17 years until they pulled out of Ireland 10 years ago. So this I remember happening because uh, I happened to be living in Dublin at the time next to the
0: Motorola plant in swords and I'd grown up in Black Rock which is of course next to the Motorola
2: plant in Cork and it was a dark day wasn't it? It certainly was, it was back in 2007 and really it was the one of the first large multinationals that pulled out of Ireland uh, leading to the whole recession and the downturn that, that came after that and I had been there for quite a while and went in there as a young engineer and came out as a not quite so young uh, person but I... I'd what what age were th- you? Uh, I was just about 40 at that point. So yeah, that, that,
0: that is a very difficult juncture in your professional life, isn't it? That the, if you get dealt a blow like that at 40, it is very much how you respond to
3: it.
2: Yeah, it was interesting because Enterprise Ireland came in to us to talk to people who might have been thinking about starting up a business. And one of the stats that they shared with us was that the the average age of the person who starts up a new business is 39 in Ireland. So I said, flip, I'm just over the hill. But um, <laughs> One year on the wrong side. So it side. wasn't someone in their early 20s. It was somebody with a bit of experience and the big advantage that we had coming out of a company like Motorola was that they invested very much in training and giving people good experience and education. So really, it was a tremendous university to learn a lot about business and technology. Um, so looking back on it, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because I never would have had the courage to take the leap myself. Uh, so the fact that the company gave us a little push rather than us taking a leap meant we went out there and set up a new business.
0: What were those first few years like? Uh, Colin Horgan, of course, who is, is your business partner. Um, what was the experience? Because there are always similarities when I talk to people about the first few years what happened, the disappointments, the successes, the unexpected success that came from an area you didn't think was going to come.
2: Exactly. So w- when we started off, we very much had the idea for developing software product in the area of project management. Uh, but we saw ourselves as a product company, that we were going to build this new product, um, sell it all over the world and retire, you know, within three years, multi-billionaires. So uh, Del Boy of it. Uh, <laughs> one exactly, day we'll be yeah, millionaires. There, there you go. So... What happened was a little bit different in that when we set up, we we hired a bunch of our former colleagues from Motorola. So six of us started on day one and uh, we quickly got up to 10 people within our first year, all ex-colleagues, because you know yourself when you've worked with somebody for a while, you know who the people are that you really want to soldier on with again. So our hiring process was pretty easy. We just went back, looked at who were the good people we worked with in the past. And actually just this year, we celebrated our 10th anniversary and eight of those 10 are still with us, still working with us. So it was great to have people So you weren't that bad to work for then, clearly.
0: (laughs) Um, But uh, did you have those disappointments and how did you manage them? Because you were in this very fragile part where you were setting up the company.
2: Sure, so there were certainly, for the first couple of years, there were some real highs when we got a new gig or or made a sale to a customer and there were lows. primarily when we put a lot of work into winning a new piece of work and then didn't get selected and do it. So you have to be a little bit resilient to to make that happen. It's interesting. Uh, Sometimes now I get asked to talk to people setting up new businesses or, or thinking about setting up new companies. And one of the messages I give them is if you came into a windfall, but you needed to, it wasn't enough for you to live the rest of your life, you needed to turn it into something more. Would you be prepared to put that money on a single hand of blackjack, for example? And everybody says, no, we wouldn't. But the odds of winning one hand of blackjack is 47%. Okay. Then I ask them, would you be willing to put it into a business, start up a new business? A lot of people say yes. The odds of being successful in starting up are somewhere between 5 and 10%. So just following the numbers, you're a better chance by putting it on blackjack. Now, So quickly, I, I, I was going to say, in other words, are all people who set up their own businesses a little bit mad then? So you'd wonder, In in my day job before setting up the business, most of my work was in project management, which is all about managing risk, reducing risk, trying to increase the likelihood of success. So I have to be somewhat schizophrenic to go from, on the one hand, trying to reduce risk and then on the other hand, taking risk, to be an entrepreneur, set up a business. So you certainly have to have a positive outlook and looking at the the things that can be achieved rather than thinking Mm. about all the ways you can fail. You
0: you mentioned what you went in with the intention of doing, which was Mm. project management software. Exactly. Is that where you ended up?
2: No. Where did you go? We've moved quite, quite a bit. So right now we have quite a broad range of services that we do. So we deliver project management services. We deliver the resources and the technology that companies need in order to deliver their projects. We also deliver project management training and consulting. But we've set up a software development team and testing team that uh, de- develops software for other organizations. So companies that don't have the skills or resources themselves or just have too much going on and they need to outsource some of the work to another company, mm. we take that on. And two years ago, we bought an IT services company. So we also deliver enterprise IT services. So how many people then, going from the 10 Mm -hmm. that you had? We're at 110 people now at the moment, Uh, primarily split between Cork and Dublin. Cork is still our HQ. We're based out on Little Island. So of the 110, we have about 65 in Cork and 45 in Dublin. A couple of people scattered around the place as well. OK. Um,
0: but the, the, the other side of it is you are a very proud Cork company, which has been displayed by the fact one of the really main reasons we want to talk to you today is that not only did you take the plunge yourself and go out on your own, you've also taken the plunge in recent years as a sponsor of Cork City Football Club. How did that come about?
2: That's right. So that was an interesting one. So... Um I guess the decision to sponsor Cork City uh, Football Club was both a uh, decision from the head and from the heart. So I guess first of all, now,
0: normally in business you only have the head and the heart is told where to go. So <laughs> how how
2: did you manage to reconcile the two? Uh, we're a little bit different, yeah. So we like to we like to have a heart as well. So first of all, on the head side, it made sense. We we um, we compete with some of the big international brands that are out there. So brand recognition is an important thing. If if you're evaluating proposals from three or four companies the fact that you've heard of this company can be an important factor you know rather than some name you've never heard of so we were looking for an opportunity to to get more brand recognition at a national level and cork city is the single biggest football team in this country um, they have the, the largest number of followers they have the largest social media following they have the largest people who show up and attend the the matches so in terms of pick, picking a football team to support Cork City is the best team in the country so that's the headpiece uh, the heart piece is very much share the ethos with Cork City one of our uh, team one, one of the guys working for us, son, played with Cork City. We have a few people on our team who are, you know, passionate supporters of Cork City. Uh, I met with the the management of the, the organisation and very quickly could see the passion.
0: Um, when, when did you sign up as sponsor?
2: Uh, two years ago, we signed okay. up as sponsor. And yeah. what
0: notice, what did you notice? What changed? That So the, did you get more recognition because, you know, you were see, your name was being seen associated with Cork City?
2: Yeah, so... Like, I guess we were lucky in that. I I should try to claim all the credit, of course, but I'm sure John Caulfield might say otherwise. uh, Well, I mean, I was going to say, clearly, (laughs) you are the man who was solely
0: responsible for the uh, the double this year. That's what I try to tell John. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if he
2: agrees. But clearly, we got involved at the right time, you know. So, after we got involved, Cork City won the President's Cup. They won the the FAI Cup last year. And, of course, this year, they've had a tremendous year, winning four trophies. So... um, I'm very hopeful that we can continue our involvement and you know European Champions League next year uh, should be on the horizon. It
0: it always helps if you have something like that and you get to see your brand. I mean is is that part of the draw that you get to see your brand maybe go to another country or you get to see clients you may have in Switzerland for example maybe watching Cork City with the jersey Exactly.
2: So just last month uh, I was dealing with you know a a huge client very large organisation worldwide and it turns out that the guy I was dealing with there was from Sligo and he said to me oh I happen to see uh, I saw your name somewhere recently. It was he. He watched a TV televised match between Sligo Rovers and Cork City. So it was great to get that recognition. And the other thing that I think my kids were more impressed with than anything was the fact that our jersey, our logo now appears on FIFA. So when you when you buy FIFA 17 or 18 and you choose to play as Cork City, there you go. You can see Aspira's name right on the did back. Did you
0: have to pay for that as well? Or does that's, that
2: come as part of the deal? That's all part of the deal. And yeah, did they get so the
0: logo right? How does They it did,
2: they got the logo right. And I haven't heard them announce it, but I need to make sure they say Aspira rather than Aspira. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> Hopefully got, they will.
0: Got into the trap. Uh, is it something that, look, a lot, a lot of Companies would take a look at something like that. It's not worth the risk. Maybe the team won't be successful this year. Maybe no one's going to see it. I mean that there is a risk in football that if 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 it goes wrong, you're associated with a brand that isn't doing very well.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so clearly there is the downside. And that's I guess where the heart piece came in. Because, you know, as you know, Cork City have gone through a pretty uh it's been up and down. large amount of turmoil in the yeah. last few years. And and I saw that really resonated with me where we've been as a company because we, you know, our company started up as a result of the recession kicking in and we've managed to grow and become successful internationally over the last few years. And really that was, you know, Cork City supporters came in, saved the club, helped the club grow again. And uh, to me, there was just a nice symmetry there between what they've been through and how we've managed to grow and be successful. Um, so long may that success continue. In terms of the company, you have your 110 now. What's mm-hmm. the goal for five years? So the goal is to continue growing. We've expanded our range of services, and that means we're able to now offer a very broad range to to clients. Rather than than just go in and deliver one thing, we're able to act as a one-stop shop for customers. And they tend to be the larger type organizations, multinationals or public bodies that we deal with primarily. We're looking to set up our first uh, international base. So, we're, right now, we're looking at Amsterdam as the most likely option. And we're actually doing work all over the world at this stage. We're doing work in the States, Europe, Asia. Um, so trying to balance that is always a challenge and and get to the cross <laughs> I know sometimes I have to just follow the Twitter feed to keep uh, on <laughs> what's going on I'm not able to get the matches live depending on where I am
0: and the great thing is in all of this you're not a Cork man you're a Limerick man
2: I'm a Limerick man so li- the Limerick hurling team is still very dear to me you know uh, well, sure God love you don't you know. don't get very far with them as a rule you're better sticking to the Cork hurlers hey, we, we won the under 21 <laughs> at Ireland this year so I'll take any any, uh, any victory we'll take it well
0: we are very happy that you're here supporting Cork FC uh, as a huge supporter and Aspira going forward. Pat Lucy, CEO, co-founder of Aspira. We wish you continued success in the future and come on, Cork City FC.
2: Thanks very much, Jonathan.
1: The Red Business Podcast with CompuBee Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuBee.com
0: And this week we want to talk about food and the different types of food that are out there, the new companies that are emerging, that are, shall we say, expanding our horizons ever so slightly. So with me now we've two companies that are in that particular food and beverage space. We've got Adrian Hyde from the Munster Brewery and Olive Capel from Green Saffron Spices. You're very welcome to the programme. Thank you both for joining us. And also we have with us Joe Burke who's with the local enterprise office The Leo in South Cork. Joe, you're welcome as well. Thank you. Um, I I have to say I always like doing programmes like this because we always get nice things. And the the first nice thing I'm going to look at is actually yours, Olive, which is a what the, These are Indian Bombay potatoes.
4: Yes, it's a spice blend. Now, what, what we do, we import, um, my husband and I, Aaron, um, we import the freshest spices from India, from the farms, direct into Cork, into the Port of Cork here, um, and down to our unit in Middleton, where we mill and grind and make them into Aaron's family blends.
0: So tell me, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Aaron's background is, mm-hmm. is he from India?
4: His dad is Indian and his mum is is from Yorkshire in England. Um, and I am from Garibault, local East Cork girl. And what we have... Not a th-
0: huge connection to India as a rule, Garibault. No no. no,
4: no. But a great connection, though, we have is that we've both come from backgrounds of cooking with simple quality ingredients. And that's the love that we, I suppose, share. And when Aaron came to Ireland in 2004, he did the Balamaloo cookery course, um, was employed in the kitchen uh, there for a few years. I worked in the house as well and um, we met and, and uh, a market in Point was starting up and that's how we, we, we started. So
0: which came first, the, the, the product or, mm-hmm. the, or the love part of the story?
4: The I think it was it was it came at the same time. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, okay, At the same time. Right. That, 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 the that, same that. time. Yeah, you'll take um, that. I think Aaron realised that he wasn't he was going to be staying in Cork a bit longer once we had met. Okay. What um, was then, his
0: plan to escape?
4: His plan. His plan was to go back to to London to to start a, a gastro pub, and then he fell in love with with Cork and the whole food scene and how people were immersed in food. Um, And he realized how much he missed, you know, spices and the availability of spices, Mm. actually fresh spices. And
0: then your eyes met across a a bowl of Ballymaloo relish. It
4: was across the kitchen pass. (laughs) And uh, um, it just it just started from there. Then, you know, we just we we got a three kg bag from uh, of spices sent fresh from his family in India. Um, we made our first big investment of three coffee grinders which cost 99 euros. Coffee what do you use the coffee grinders for? To grind the whole spices. Because what the, the the key is with fresh spices is where possible to buy them whole and grind them because then the volatile oils the flavor all the health benefits everything is is within the fresh spice.
0: Now I I'm, I'm going to guess that a girl from Gary Vaux yeah. Wouldn't have dallied too much in Indian spices growing up.
4: No, not at all. We had black pepper, white pepper. Very pot. Yeah, absolutely. Every good farmhouse had black and white pepper. Um, But then as I met Aaron, you know, I learned that the black pepper came from the husk. The white pepper is the seed um, inside. The white pepper, beautiful and creamy. The black pepper then has a, a lovely kind of punchiness to it. Um, And it's the addition of of spices and black pepper or anything at all. In day-to-day, not only for savoury, but for sweet and for, for everyday use as well.
0: So the the company went on from that. And we'll talk a little yeah. bit more about green saffron and where everyone can get it a little mm-hmm. bit later on. But Adrian, we'll turn to you. There's a lovely love story behind that. There's a beautiful eyes meeting across the kitchen.
3: There, there is. I was thinking, could I describe my brother and myself? <laughs> yeah. Eyes meeting across the <laughs> <laughs> it, So it is your, it is your brother, Padraig, and
0: yourself set up this company. When?
3: It is, yeah, we started until in 2013, 2014. And um, I kind of blame him for starting, or rather I should be thanking him, maybe. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't, again, let's, I, I always say this to people who start out businesses. Yeah. Probably the best time to go out
0: on your own, really. In 2013, we were at the bottom of the recession. We maybe were, there yeah. was a few little green shoots and the most optimistic would have taken a punt. But why Why choose then? Oh
3: yeah, I suppose it kind of came about organically. We looked at it years ago, and times was good. And, um, you know, kind of went costing everything and pricing and everything, and but the, the price of everything then was just astronomical, so steel tanks and all the equipment and everything was just too expensive and we kind of shied away from it. But he was always kind of homebrewing in the interim and I suppose things were quiet then when the Depression came and we decided, you know... Let's look at it again.
0: There's, there's a lot in this space and there would have been a fair few in this space at the time. There was yeah. a, Wasn't was there a tax break or something that encouraged there, people there, to get involved?
3: There was. There was no tax break for years and then the government introduced a scheme. It was kind of um, a rebate on the duty and the alcohol for small craft brewers trying to, you know, encourage small local businesses. And I think that made a big difference. So when we started, it was about, maybe about 30 breweries, but there, I mean, you're looking at well over 130 now. What's it's, you, it's, it's really effect. taken off, which makes
0: yeah. for a stiff competition. But but back to your story, you, you said that Padraig was tinkering away, yeah. making his own home brew. Like what was that like the equivalent of up in the open the attic and cooking
3: cooking? Yeah, all hops? kinds of strange places. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of strange places. Was yeah, it, I mean, was it a, a messy business? It's always a messy business. <laughs> you know, I think you'd want to be very particular to have. Um, you know, to be able to brew beer and keep everything without splashing and everything. So it's a messy business at the best of times. And
0: w- what level of involvement did you have back then? I became the face or of just, the operation. Oh, that's grand. You didn't drink it, did you?
3: No, well, I drank plenty of it, but I <laughs> became the face as well. Yeah, and like, you know, what we found in depression was um, everything had tumbled in price. So we were able to get steel tanks and bought second-hand tanks and bought second-hand equipment and, you know, kind of grew from there. We didn't overextend ourselves, managed to do it without taking out, um, you know, a loan or anything like that. So it was something that grew organically like
0: and and that made it I suppose easier to to take on those initial costs if the if the costs were relatively low you 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 could afford to maybe take it the Odd risk, maybe, yeah, maybe Push the boat out,
3: yeah. Although I was saying there before we came in, maybe the best thing would have, would have been to have a bank manager screaming at us, you know, who'll give you that <laughs> extra motivation. Like, but uh, hey, w- we, we didn't want to take on debt And
0: uh, w- where did you store these tanks? I can't imagine. I, I, I don't know. Did you, oh, put- we,
3: no, we, we rented out, um, you didn't do it at home, uh, no, no, <laughs> god, no. We rented out an uh, industrial warehouse and kind of grew from there. Our first one actually was tiny, it was, um, it was about a thousand square feet. Then we moved into a bigger place, and that was about maybe two and a half thousand square feet. So you know, that, that was after a year and a half of hard slogging, I must say.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I suppose it, it is definitely a hard slog. Joe Burke uh, of the local enterprise office. Joe, th- these are just two stories, Adrian and Olives, uh, and I suppose Patrick and Aaron's by by extension. Is it, is it very typical of the type of business in the food and beverage sector, that has come through over the course of the last little while, that, that, that it is people who went out in a limb, probably at a at a difficult time for the country.
1: Yeah, ex- I I think um, I suppose adversity forces people to you know reinvent themselves. Um, if if they've been made redundant from their jobs, you know what I mean, with the the crash and things. So um, inevitably, you know, they would come across our door, um, looking for business advice and support in whatever way we could. And I suppose as well, the government is very anxious to help get new businesses started up, you know, in indigenous Irish businesses. And so from small acorns, you know, grow big businesses. And this is a typical example, you know, both uh, Green Saffron would have been into us in the early days looking for advice and training. I suppose one of the first things I suppose Aaron and Olive was on was the advanced food program that we did. Um, I suppose in 2008 or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. and it grew from there in the relationship building up relationships with the local enterprise office and you know they were always on our database so we'd advise them when there would be marketing courses coming up social media courses so they could keep engaging and keep working with us mm. and uh, I inevitably led to them getting some grant support. Um, There's this American expression that,
0: that gets trotted out every now and then the worst thing you can hear in a crisis is somebody saying hello I'm from the government and I'm here to help but in the LEO's case uh, in your experience Olive, that was a good thing was it?
4: Oh no it was it was incredible it was great for us we had started off with our local CCAD office. You know, we started off our business in, as...
0: CCAD, and that's, that's a development thing for people who are out in the middle of nowhere, isn't it?
4: Yes. Yeah. So, um, With our farmer's market. And, you know, we we got a, a little funding for that, would help, which helped us get our marquee and our tables to start trading. And as we grew the business, it, it grew. We, we were introduced to Joe and to the local enterprise office, you were called the South Park Enterprise Board, Board at, the time, yeah. at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember Joe coming down. I said, I said earlier, uh, you know, I was terrified. He was the first person in a suit to ever walk in the door. <laughs> oh, dear God, and <laughs> no, what, what a terrible addiction. <laughs> And you know, in his role he had to he had, he had to, to wear the suit. He had to wear the suit. <laughs> <laughs> but no That's but you know, but uh, you know, he, he had to assess what we were doing and, and the viability and you know there was there was government money, you know, there. Um and he took he took a risk as well with us and, you know, looked at the business and the business model. And um, without it, you know, it really, really helped us move forward. And
0: Adrian, did you did you do the same thing? Were you involved with the LEO?
3: Yeah, very, very similar thing. Um, we were kind of up running around the year and, um, you know, kept hearing about the LEO and the LEO and eventually decided, look, let's give him a ring. And uh, I think it was Joe answered the phone, but... Than helpful. Um, did he have a did, suit on when you met him? Uh, he did, yes, <laughs> actually. Yeah, <laughs> but, but like what we found, like you, you, know, people think of LEOs and they think of like finance and grants and everything, and it's not always about the money. A lot of the time, it's about the support they're able to give. And you know, just one example, they brought us to Birmingham to, you know, a, a trade market show, and that was a big deal for us because for a company of our size to get over there, you know, and make contacts with distributors and stuff, it was a big deal to us. So it's not always about and, and people, the
0: people really dread Joe red tape forms. Mm-hmm jumping through the hoops. Now, there is a bit of that. Yeah. But you make it as easy as possible, presumably, do you? Well, we we
1: try. You know, m- my own background is that in the private sector, I worked with an Apple computers for over 10 years. And so I, I didn't come from a civil service background. So I would always be to, to keep the bureaucracy at a minimum at all possible, uh, bar wearing the suit, really. So <laughs> I'm sorry for that, lads. But, uh, <laughs> and I'm still wearing it. But um, I, I must say that, you know, w- most people don't uh, look at the bureaucracy, you know, for what they're getting. You know, it's, it's after all, it's, it's taxpayers money that we're dealing with. So it, everything has to be accountable for. Yeah. So I don't think once that's explained, you know, they will get over those things. We've kept the application forms to a minimum and the drawdown possible to a minimum, but also that it can be audited easily and yeah. quickly. Uh,
0: the, the good thing is you have two happy customers with us in studio right now to talk about their businesses. Olive, let, let's talk about Green Saffron. Now, uh, the reason I know your products is because you are sold in Super Value. Yes. Is, is that your primary distribution model at the moment?
4: It is um, the super the supermarkets. It's just a wider audience for us. Um, we started off at farmers' markets, which we still attend, and we very much value our customer base. Our customer base is is you know our our, our customer is key, um, and there's nothing like your your customer giving you feedback. Um, what Super Value is is great for us. I mean, we have a distributor now. Um, our first, actually Eugene Scally from um, Clannacilty Super Value, he first, uh, we first met him at Mahon Point Farmer's Market. Really? Uh, Did he yeah. just walk up to you? Absolutely. Approached my husband. We were behind the stall. Um, and that is how, um, you know, a lot of the the buyers and the owners of, you know, Super Value they will come and meet you and, and get to know what your product is like. Um, you have Jim Garvey then down in, in Dingle, the super values mm-hmm. down there. They're wonderful. Um, working, you know, for us, a forum or a platform that has been really, really great has been the Cork Kerry Forum over the last four years. Um, it's in City Hall, beautiful location. There's about 70, 80 producers all under one roof if you were trying yourself to go around and meet all the super value buyers or owners, you couldn't do that. But they came to you because you were in the forum.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the products then that you're selling, right? Um, Mm. And again, I I pointed out from Mm. Gary Vaux, you do the black and the white pepper and maybe Mm. a bit of salt if you're lucky on a good day. Mm -hmm. But how... Has the Irish palate changed that we can now eat an awful lot more Indian food? In fact, we want it. We want that spicy. you know, We want maybe not the full hot vindaloo, yeah. but we want something like that. We like our karmas. We we like our tikka masalas. Have we evolved at the right time for green saffron? Do you think
4: very much so? I think I think everything is about flavour, and what we do is all about fresh spice. And for the love of spice, um, there is a lot more. Um, accessibility now to to food and to different flavors and to different cultures as well. Ireland and very much so, Aaron, my husband, found that Cork and the Irish people are very open and welcoming to new flavors and new tastes because it complemented the great produce that we have here. Um, and that's what we really, really enjoy. And not only our own products or sauces that we make. You know, there's nothing you know artificial in them. It's just good quality, simple ingredients that works really well. Mm,
0: how much of it is coming into the country though? Because obviously the spices we don't do here.
4: Yes, the no everything, everything else, just the spices. Yeah, we, we bring them in, Um they're steam sterilized. Um, in in um with our strategic partner as well, because that's not currently done here um in ireland with for ourselves but we bring them in then to the port of cork now some has to go to dublin there's different you know testing or oh, back to things. the red tape aren't we yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but you know that's we bring them to to middleton um we mill and we grind we also have a a kitchen now we moved um you do ex- jars
0: as well now, don't you? We
4: do. We've jar sauces and blends. Yeah. And we have a kitchen in line, which we, um, the incubator kitchens that the council set up a number of years ago, we're renting one of the kitchens down there. And that's where we do all our cooking for our catering events and um, the farmer's market as well.
0: So in other words, that it's, all, it's all done locally?
4: Locally. And we have some some um, manufacturing partners as well. Okay. In, in, so,
0: in uh, And it's just from, again, little acorns that you've, you've grown Absolutely. to something much bigger. Adrian, yeah. if we, we can talk Talk to you about uh, 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 the changing palette. I yep. mean, years ago, you would have gone to a pub and you had like, eight or nine taps and that was your lot. But that was it. N- yeah, yeah. now there's this huge volume out there of product and yours has to stand out. So how, how does Monster Brewery stuff stand out over anything else?
3: Well, well I suppose for us, the it was tied up and we'd be big anti-chemicals. Do you, know, do you know, So the use of chemicals in beers and the filtering of beer you know, true chemical stuff, um, we don't do any of it. So all our beer, it's unpasteurized, unfiltered. Uh, you know, all we do is ferment it, put it in a bottle. That's it. And, and
2: is we, it,
0: explain to the, the, the gum being that is me, uh, and obviously I, I accept <laughs> that Joe and Olive know all about this, but how do you go about the brewing process? Do you just shove a load of stuff in the tank and hope for the best? Or? I wish, <laughs> I
3: wish, yeah. Um, no, you start off with grain, um, you know, and you put the grain into the mash tun and you, you, you know, you, um it's all about temperature control, really. Yeah, once it comes out of the air, it goes into the kettle. And it's a very sleep, sweet liquid out of the mash You're not talking
0: about the kettle we have at home now. No, this I'm talking about a big tank, basically. A more sophisticated yeah. kettle.
3: Yeah, a bigger version of it, basically, yeah. yeah. But it's a very sweet liquid that comes out of the mash tun, wort. And um, when you put it into the kettle, then you boil it. And you're trying to balance it then with hops, which would be very bitter. So I think that's where the taste profiles come from. Then you have the yeast, which adds another layer of profile to it.
0: And w- when you do all of this, uh, how conscious are you of that consumer at the end that your product is going to stand out?
3: We, basically, we always took the um, approach. Uh, number one, you can be trying to chase the market all day. You know, trying, trying to hit the right market and trying to decide what somebody wants down in Clannogilty or up in Dublin are two very different things sometimes. So what we did was we brewed what we like to drink ourselves. you know And that's what we put out there. So what to are the, in the products hand.
0: that people who are listening right now may have may have tasted from Munster Brewery before?
3: Well, we do three beers. Um, we have Zelp for Bodog. And we've 12 Tours, which is actually an Irish-brewed organic beer at the moment. Uh, and then about a year ago then, we were fermenting a whole load of stuff in the brewery. You can ferment nearly anything, but we brought out um, fermented tea, which is kombucha. And that's in a lot of the health shops now at the moment. It's good for the gut. It's, oh, it's digestion. Is, is
0: there alcohol in that? Or is no, it, no, it's a soft drink. It's a soft
3: drink? Yeah, it's a completely different kind so of So do you market. have to have
0: a whole different process for that then, or is it the no, same but, process cleaned yeah, out?
3: But, yeah, we were lucky that we were able to convert some of the tanks um, over to kombucha tanks. Um, but very similar process. I mean, it's just fermentation, and again, we don't pasteurise or filter it. It's just straight into the I, bottle. I,
0: I'm just trying to. I, um, as the limited connoisseur I am but the drink, um, yeah. I think I've drank for a bullock, fair bullock, but yeah, I, haven't, I haven't tried the other ones yet. So,
3: is, are they all beers or? The, the, well, they're all. Um, for bullock would be an amber lager. Yeah. Uh, the twelve towers then. It's an organic ale, an Irish red ale, and Zelp then is an IPA, which is kind of a stronger tasting. Do do you?
0: go into supermarkets like we mentioned the super values where, yep. you,
3: where you can buy all of stuff
0: do you go in there and like kind of go well I wish they'd move mine a little bit that way or up a bit or down around the corner or maybe push it a little bit more because there's such competition there isn't there
3: yeah there is but um, like, like I suppose we're kind of lucky in the way in that you know when we push it on the shelf people kind of seek it out do you know we, we wouldn't have nationwide distribution with the beers so to have the local super values and the local independents particularly they're all very good to us like mm. so what's,
0: then, what's the plan I mean is it to expand more because you mentioned that you moved from that little that yep. smaller outlet to the bigger outlet I think well, yep. two, two or three years ago where does it go from here?
3: Uh, well if we'd, we'd be looking at one of the chains maybe one of the supermarket chains super value or someone to go right? that should be the first step but then with the um, Holo which is the name of the kombucha uh, we, we've a whole different plan for that and we're kind of using that as a springboard because what we want to do is establish a retreat actually uh, yeah and kind of use it you know to teach people about organic food and you know that you don't have to be buying stuff laden with chemicals and isn't, isn't
0: that just an amazing twist on what was a journey about brewing beer?
3: Yeah, it is. It, it is, and it's. I suppose it's been a journey of personal growth as well. If you'd asked me at the start, would I ever tell anybody that I wanted to start a retreat and, you know, go out and teach people about organic food and how easy it is? I you'd have, have probably laughed at them. I'd have ran a mile. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have ran a mile. But I think there's something about the process along the way, you know, just calling into shops and having to tell your story and tell them who you are and, you know, no one knows who's Adrian and Patrick Hyde from and you all. And you have to tell them, and I think from that you get... You get a bit of confidence, yeah. Yeah. George, you hear that a lot,
0: that it starts at point A and ends up at point Y.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, probably the most fascinating and interesting about my job is that I'm hearing those stories every week, really, across different sectors, not only the food sector. So when someone comes in with a basic idea and this is where they thought their journey was, but in actual fact, when they discovered the market and the market out there and what they wanted, uh, it's driven them in a different direction. And they're listening to their customer base and picking up on where the trends are in food. And I, I think you have good examples of that here today, you know, with, with, especially with the Munster Brewery. You know what I mean? That, that they're going into tea, which is, you know, a yeah. completely different tangent. And there is lots of cases and even um, olive and green saffron, they, they, they do Christmas puddings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, for the Christmas market and it's a huge seller across all supermarkets.
0: Oh yeah, I, I have to come back now. Hang on a second. Is, is there an Indian Christmas pudding that I'm not aware of? <laughs> and, and, and
4: <laughs> well, I suppose, well, you know, what we do as well, we're, we're an ingredient. Not only do we make our blends and jarred sauces, but we're an ingredient. And, um, and you beautiful vanilla and pepper and mixed spice you know mixed spice has been used for 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 years and years and years and even in cork our local butchers the spiced uh, beef the spiced lenders well. spiced beef yeah usually successful um and and the um the down in canter so are you everything. telling
0: me now i can buy a a pudding yeah. a saffron green
4: a green saffron christmas pudding green saffron pudding. christmas
0: pudding that has a blend of mixed spices, including Absolutely. a little bit of an Indian lilt it, to it. It,
4: it, has, it has a beautiful, it's all about the lovely fresh spices. There is this lovely um, ginger, a little mace, black pepper, vanilla, orange zest. You see, zest, the black pepper wasn't
0: the there way. except for the Gary Vaux fruit So <laughs> yeah. you just threw that in there at the Christmas pudding minute. will never
2: be the same <laughs> no, <again. laughs>
4: no, no, I, 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 I need to taste this. I need to taste no, this we're, urgently we're before very, Christmas. We're very, very lucky. We, we, um, we won a Great Taste Award with, with our Christmas pudding as well. And we have a mulled wine uh, blend as well um, that can be used inside. Hang on is that
0: you're crossing well. the line now yeah. with <laughs> the mustard <laughs> here. There's, there's, there's a warning. Look, you meant, I think you mentioned this already, Adrian, going and meeting mm-hmm. your customers. Yeah. And I think for people who are starting off in business, that's probably the most daunting thing you're going to do because they're rather blunt. If they don't like something, you'll find out about it fairly quickly. How yeah. important is that kind of feedback in talking to your customers?
3: Uh, very like... Um, I suppose particularly with beers, if people don't like them, they tell you nearly straight out, you know, they're in the pub or you're in the off-license or something. And particularly with beers, I think they'll tell you straight out. You'll
0: have to one and then you go, I oh, know, I'll, I'll go back to the other one there. Yeah, thanks. but, yeah.
3: you know, I think, you know, you're not going to please everybody all the time. So, you know, we brew hop, we're happy with and we, we put that out there. And thankfully, I mean, I'm touching wood here. It's, it's but that's metal, technically. But, yeah, no, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, that whole process of going out and meet people just has to be done. You, you're never going to get to know what people want. You, you know, your, um, your stockers, the shops, a lot of them are small business owned, um, family orientated businesses
0: yeah. and Anna for you going out there do, what what difference does that make for you uh, and for Aaron going around uh, oh, it's showing it's, the wares at first hand
4: yeah it is it's huge I mean the, there's nothing there's nothing like somebody meeting meeting and tasting in store you know tastings and promotions and everything that you can do like that when a customer tastes your food they you know you get real honest feedback mm. Um, and you know not only you know are you are you getting um,
0: yeah but basically be brave and go and do be it because if you do don't it. do it yeah. you don't get that interaction
4: and and not every you know um, not everybody has the skill set you know of of being able to to market and to to sell and to to produce some people are, are more you know production orientated and that's where you you get the help from the the Leo's and everything like that the courses and everything that do help well, move the business I out. have
0: to say I, I now go from the studio looking forward to some of Green Saffron's Christmas pudding which I have to oh seek out the kombucha tea uh, it is kombucha I have samples here now are have a sample of that <laughs> yeah. okay we'll, we'll have a little bit of that before we go as well uh, Joe I don't know maybe just get a suit as nice as yours is the all best right. thing I can hope for uh, for Christmas but we wish you the best of luck in the weeks ahead which is going to be a busy time for all of the businesses involved yes. in food and beverage uh, we th- thank you to our panelists of Olive Wonderful. Capel from Green, Green Saffron Spices, uh, Adrian Hyde from the Munster Brewery and Joe Burke, Assistant CEO of the Leo in South Cork. Thank you all for joining us okay. on Red Thanks Business. Thanks so me. much. Thanks so Thank much. You. Keep an eye out for the Munster Brewery and Saffron Green when you're next in the supermarket and continued success to both of them. Thanks to everyone who took part in this podcast and of course to Niamh Hennessy who helped put it all together. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. We'll catch you on the next one.
1: The Red Business Podcast with CompuB, Apple technology and solutions for your business, compub.com.